Chapter Five of Lena Rivers by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five, Maple Grove. The residence of Mister Livingstone, or rather of Mister Livingstone's wife, was a large, handsome building such as often one finds in Kentucky, particularly in the country. Like most planters' houses, it stood at some little distance from the street, from which its massive walls, wreathed with evergreen, were just discernible the carriage road which led to it passed first through a heavy iron gate guarded by huge bronze lions so natural and lifelike that mrs nichols when first she saw them uttered a cry of fear next came a beautiful maple grove followed by a long green lawn dotted here and there with forest trees and having on its right a deep running brook whose waters farther on at the rear of the garden were formed into a miniature fish-pond the house itself was of brick two-storied and surrounded on three sides with a double piazza whose pillars were entwined with climbing roses honeysuckle and running vines so closely interwoven as to give it the appearance of an immense summer-house in the spacious yard in front tall shade-trees and bright green grass were growing while in the well-kept garden at the left bloomed an endless variety of roses and flowering shrubs which in their season filled the air with perfume and made the spot brilliant with beauty directly through the centre of this garden ran the stream of which we have spoken and as its mossy banks were never disturbed they presented the appearance of a soft velvety ridge where each spring the starry dandelion and the blue-eyed violet grew across the brook two small foot-bridges had been built both of which were latticed and overgrown by luxuriant grape-vines whose dark green foliage was now intermingled with clusters of the rich purple fruit at the right and somewhat in the rear of the building was a group of linden trees overshadowing the whitewashed houses of the negroes who imitating as far as possible the taste of their master beautified their dwellings with hop vines creepers hollyhocks and the like altogether it was as lena said just the kind of place which one reads of in stories and which is often found at the sunny south the interior of the building corresponded with the exterior for with one exception the residence of a wealthy englishman mrs livingstone prided herself upon having the best furnished house in the county consequently neither pains nor money had been spared in the selection of the furniture which was of the most costly kind carrie the eldest of the daughters was now about thirteen years of age proud imperious deceitful and self-willed she was hated by the servants and disliked by her equals some thought her pretty she felt sure of it and many an hour she spent before the mirror admiring herself and anticipating the time when she would be a grown-up lady and as a matter of course a belle her mother unfortunately belonged to that class who seemed to think that the chief aim in life is to secure a brilliant match and thinking she could not commence too soon she had early instilled into her favourite daughter's mind the necessity of appearing to the best possible advantage when in the presence of wealth and distinction pointing out her own marriage as a proof of the unhappiness resulting from unequal matches in this way carrie had early learned that her father owed his present position to her mother's condescension in marrying him that he was once a poor boy living among the northern hills that his parents were poor ignorant and vulgar and that there was with them a little girl their daughter's child who never had a father and whom she must never on any occasion call her cousin all this had likewise been told to anna the youngest daughter who was about lena's age but upon her it made no impression if her father were once poor he was in her opinion none the worse for that 
and if he liked his parents that was a sufficient reason why she should like them too and if little lena was an orphan she pitied her and hoped she might sometime see her and tell her so thus anna reasoned while her mother terribly shocked at her low-bred taste strove to instil into her mind some of her own more aristocratic notions but all in vain for anna was purely democratic loving everybody and beloved by everybody in return it is true she had no particular liking for books or study of any kind but she was gentle and affectionate in her manner and kindly considerate of other people's feelings with her father she was a favourite and to her he always looked for sympathy which she seldom failed to give not in words it is true but whenever he seemed to be in trouble she would climb into his lap wind her arms round his neck and laying her golden head upon his shoulder would sit thus until his brow and heart grew lighter as he felt there was yet something in the wide world which loved and cared for him for carrie mrs livingstone had great expectations but anna she feared would never make a brilliant match for a long time anna meditated upon this wondering what a brilliant match could mean and at last she determined to seek an explanation from captain atherton a bachelor and a millionaire who was in the habit of visiting them and who always noticed and petted her more than he did carry accordingly the next time he came and they were alone in the parlour she broached the subject asking him what it meant laughing loudly the captain drew her toward him saying why marrying rich you little novice for instance if one of these days you should be my little wife i dare say your mother would think you had made a brilliant match and the well-preserved gentleman of forty glanced complacently at himself in the mirror thinking how probable it was that his useful looks would be unimpaired for at least ten years to come anna laughed for to her his words then conveyed no serious meaning but with more than her usual quickness she replied that she would as soon marry her grandfather with mrs livingstone the reader is partially acquainted in her youth she had been pretty and now at thirty-eight she was not without pretensions to beauty notwithstanding her sallow complexion and sunken eyes her hair which was very abundant was bright and glossy and her mouth in which the dentist had done his best would have been handsome had it not been for a certain draw at the corners which gave it a scornful and rather disagreeable expression in her disposition she was overbearing and tyrannical fond of ruling and deeming her husband a monster of ingratitude if ever in any way he manifested a spirit of rebellion didn't she marry him and now they were married didn't her money support him and wasn't it exceedingly amiable in her always to speak of their children as ours but as for the rest twas my house my servants my carriage and my horses all mine mrs john livingstone's miss matilda richards that was occasionally however her husband's spirit was roused and then after a series of tears sick headaches and then spasms miss matilda richards that was was compelled to yield her face for many days wearing the look of a much injured heart-broken woman still her influence over him was great else she had never so effectually weakened every tie which bound him to his native home making him ashamed of his parents and of everything pertaining to them when her husband first wrote to her that his father was dead and that he had promised to take charge of his mother and lena she flew into a violent rage which was increased tenfold when she received his second letter wherein he announced his intention of bringing them home in spite of her bursting into tears she declared she'd leave the house before she'd have it filled up with a lot of paupers who did john nichols think he was and who did he think she was besides that where was he going to put them for there wasn't a place for them that she knew of why mother 
said anna who was pleased with the prospect of a new grandmother and cousin why mother what a story there's the two big chambers and bedrooms besides the one next to carrie's and mine oh do put them in there it'll be so nice to have grandma and cousin lena so near me anna livingstone returned the indignant lady never let me hear you say grandma and cousin again but they be grandma and cousin persisted anna while her mother commenced lamenting the circumstance which had made them so wishing as she had often done before that she had never married john nichols i reckon you are not the only one that wishes so slyly whispered john jr who was a witness to her emotion anna was naturally of an inquiring mind and her mother's last remark awoke within her a new and strange train of thought causing her to wonder whose little girls she would have been her father's or mother's in case they had each married someone else as there was no one whose opinion anna dared to ask the question is undoubtedly to this day with her unsolved the next morning when mrs livingstone arose her anger of the day before was somewhat abated and knowing from past experience that it was useless to resist her husband when once he was determined she wisely concluded that as they were now probably on the road it was best to try to endure for a time at least what could not well be helped and now arose the perplexing question what should she do with them where should she put them that they would be the most out of the way for she could never suffer them to be round when she had company the chamber of which anna had spoken was out of the question for it was too nice and besides that it was reserved for the children of her new orleans friends who nearly every summer came up to visit her at the rear of the building was a long low room containing a fireplace and two windows which looked out upon the negro quarters and the hemp fields beyond this room which in the summer was used for storing feather beds blankets and so forth was plastered but minus either paper or paint still it was quite comfortable better than they were accustomed to at home mrs livingstone said and this she decided to give them accordingly the negroes were set at work scrubbing the floors washing the windows and scouring the sills until the room at least possessed the virtue of being clean a faded carpet discarded as good for nothing and over which the rats had long held their nightly revels was brought to light shaken mended and nailed down then came a bedstead which mrs livingstone had designed as a christmas gift to one of the negroes but which of course would do well enough for her mother-in-law next followed an old wooden rocking-chair whose ancestry anna had tried in vain to trace and which carrie had often proposed burning this with two or three more chairs of a later date a small wardrobe and a square table completed the furniture of the room if we accept the plain muslin curtains which shaded the windows destitute of blinds taking it by itself the room looked tolerably well but when compared with the richly furnished apartments around it it seemed meagre and poor indeed but if they wanted anything better they could get it themselves they were welcome to make any alterations they chose this mode of reasoning hardly satisfied anna and unknown to her mother she took from her own chamber a handsome hearth rug and carrying it to her grandmother's room laid it before the fireplace coming accidentally upon a roll of green paper she with the help of corinda a black girl made some shades for the windows which faced the west rendering the room intolerably hot during the summer season then at the suggestion of corinda she looped back the muslin curtains with some green ribbons which she had intended using for her dolly's dress the bare appearance of the table troubled her but by rummaging she brought to light a cast-off spread which though soiled and worn was on one side quite handsome now if we only had something for the mantle said she 
it seems so empty corinda thought a moment then rolling up the whites of her eyes she replied don't you mind them little pictures meaning vases which master atherton done gin you they'd look mighty fine up there full of sprigs and posies without hesitating a moment anna brought the vases and as she did not know the exact time when her grandmother would arrive she determined to fill them with fresh flowers every morning there it looks a heap better don't it carrie said she to her sister who chanced to be passing the door and looked in you must be smart answered carrie taking so much pains just for them and as i live if you haven't got those elegant vases that captain atherton gave you for a birthday present i know mother won't like it i mean to tell her and away she ran with the important news there i told you so said she quickly returning she says you carry them straight back and let the room alone anna began to cry saying the vases were hers and she should think she might do what she pleased with them what did you go and blab for you great for shame you exclaimed john jr suddenly appearing in the doorway at the same time giving carrie a push which set her to crying and brought mrs livingstone to the scene of action can't my vases stay in here nobody'll hurt em and they'll look so pretty said anna can't that hateful john behave and let me alone said carrie and can't carrie quit sticking her nose in other folks business chimed in john jr oh lordy what a fuss said corinda while poor mrs livingstone half distracted took refuge under one of her dreadful headaches and telling her children to fight their own battles and let her alone returned to her room a body'd s'pose marster's kin warn't of no kind of count said aunt milly the head cook to a group of sables who in the kitchen were discussing the furniture of the trumpery room as they were in the habit of calling the chambers set apart for mrs nichols yes they would s'pose they warn't of no kind account the way miss goes on ravin and tearin and puttin em off with low live truck that we black folks wouldn't begin to attach with the tongs massy knows if my old mother warn't dead and gone to kingdom come i should never think o sarvin her so and i don't set myself up to be nothin but an old nigger and a black one at that but lor that's the way with more'n half the white folks they jine the church and then they think they done got a title deed to one of them houses up in heaven that nobody ever built sure enough goin straight thar as fast as a span of race-hosses can carry em key won't they be disappointed some on em and miss matilda long the rest when she drives up hosses all a reek and sweat and specks to walk straight into the best room but is told to go to the kitchen and turn hoe-cakes for us niggers who are eatin at the fust table with silver forks and napkins here old milly stopped to breathe and her daughter vine who had listened breathlessly to her mother's description of the good time coming asked when these things come to pass if miss carey wouldn't have to swing the feathers over the table to keep off the flies instead of herself yes that she will child returned her mother things is all gwine to be changed in the wink of your eye miss anna read the very text to me last sunday and i knew in a minute what it meant now thar's miss anna blessed lamb she's one of em that'll wear her white gowns and stay in t'other room with her face shinin like an isle lamp 
while this interesting conversation was going on in the kitchen john jr in the parlor was teasing his mother for money with which to go up to lexington the next day you may just as well give it to me without any fuss said he for if you don't i'll get my bills at the phoenix charged the old man is good and they'll trust but then a feller feels more independent when he can pay down and treat a friend if he likes so hand over four or five fives at first mrs livingstone refused but her head ached so hard and her nerves trembled so that she did not feel equal to the task of contending with john jr who was always sure in the end to have his own way yielding at last to his importunities she gave him fifteen dollars charging him to keep out of bad company and be a good boy trust me for that said he and pulling the tail of anna's pet kitten upsetting carrie's work-box poking a black baby's ribs with his walking-cane and knocking down a cob-house which thomas jefferson had been all day building he mounted his favorite firelock and together with a young negro rode off the lord send us a little peace now said aunt milly tossing her squalling baby up in the air and telling thomas jefferson not to cry for his young master was done gone off and i hope to goodness he'll stay off a spell she added for thar's old sam to pay the whole time he's at home and if ever thar was a tickled critter in this world it's me when he clars out i'm glad too said anna who had been sent to the kitchen to stop the screaming and i wish he'd stay ever so long for i don't take a bit of comfort when he's at home great hateful i wish he didn't live here said carrie gathering up her spools thimble and scissors while mrs livingstone feeling that his absence had taken a load from her shoulders settled herself upon her silken lounge and tried to sleep amid all this rejoicing at his departure john jr put spurs to the fleet firelock who soon carried him to lexington where as we have seen he came unexpectedly upon his father who not daring to trust him on horseback lest he should play the truant took him into the stage with himself leaving firelock to the care of the negro End of chapter 5